0: day from this website called Upworthy, and it was talking about the lessons that we've had to learn the hard way, lessons that we ended up learning along the way, things that we should do or should not do, but in order to learn those lessons, we learned in a very painful way. And in this article, these people wrote in to say, here are some of the lessons that I've learned, but I had to learn the hard way. Here's a few of the responses. First, you can't fix other people only yourself. Or someone said, budget and be financially responsible. Another person said, your fear of failure is worse than the failure itself, so take the chance right now. Another person wrote in and said, not everyone will like you for doing the right thing. All of these lessons learned the hard way. They learned these lessons. They are applying them to their lives now, but they took the path that led to pain and hardship in order to learn these lessons. One that I've had to learn the hard way, and I'm glad I've learned it, but boy, it took me a while to learn it, is this. Don't wait until you need counseling to start going to counseling. I started going to counseling six years ago. Actually, I was going through a really hard time in my life And I was in an elder meeting, and our elder said, Eric, you are going to counseling. It's not even a question of if you're going to. No, you're going. This is going to be a part of your job. And I started seeing uh, my Christian counselor six years ago. I just saw him again this past Wednesday, and it has really changed my life. I just wish I would have started going when I was a kid or in college just to process those things because a lot of us have things underneath the surface and we don't really know how to deal with those things. My counselor, helped me do that. But I had to learn the hard way because I waited to the last second when my life was really at rock bottom to see a counselor. All of us in this room, if I were to go around and say, tell me a lesson you learned the hard way, you would say, I learned this. It's caused a lot of pain, a lot of hardship, but I finally learned it. And a lot of times in our lives, when it comes to different lessons in our lives, we think we have to learn the hard way because that's just the way life is. But what if I told you, you don't always have to learn the hard way. Imagine that you're in the woods and you can go left or right. You're at a a fork in the road. A lot of times we think we have to go left, but there is an alternative path. And what I want to tell you is this path is just as hard as the other path. But what this path will do, though, is get you where you need to be in a way that's not painful, but it actually builds you up. You become who you're supposed to be through this path. And this path, the scriptures tell us, is called wisdom. Some of my favorite Christian authors puts wisdom in this way. Eugene Peterson says, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves John Piper says, wisdom is knowing what the greatest goals are in any setting and then taking the most effective means to accomplish them. And then Max Licato puts it simply, wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. When you take this path, it's still going to be very hard. But instead of going this path and learning lessons on our own, by our own strength, in our own wisdom, we are saying, I want to choose this path, and it's still going to be very hard, but I want to surrender to God's wisdom. I want to see life his way and walk his path. This is why beginning today, we are kicking off a brand new message series called the Wisdom Literature, where the Wisdom Literature is going to teach us to stop having to learn the hard way. It's still going to be hard, but we don't have to make mistakes along the way to learn that lesson. What if we learned that lesson up front and we walk the path we're supposed to walk? Wisdom is such an important aspect of who God is that he included five books on wisdom in the Old Testament as the Bible was put together. Two of them are these the Psalms, 150 poems talking about who God is and how to live life His way. Song of Songs, it captures what two lovers look like when God is at the center of what they are going through in their lives. We'll get back to those some other time. But over the next uh, 10 weeks or so, I should say, we're going to be looking at three different wisdom books the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, And Job. We're going to spend the most time in the Proverbs. I'm going to get to that in a little while. But I want to give you an introduction to the other two books today, Ecclesiastes and Job. I want to at least give you an appetizer, a sampling on what you can expect and what these books are about and how can we apply these lessons and these books to our lives so we don't have to keep learning the hard way. And so when it comes to Job, we'll start at the end. If I had to put Job in one sentence to teach us about what wisdom is, it's this. How to suffer well. Notice I didn't say, if you suffer, here's how to suffer well. It's simply how to suffer well because even though you and I all look different in this room, we all have different experiences, we all have different amounts of money in our bank accounts, we have different circumstances, what all of us have in common is pain. Every one of us is going through or will be going through something that leaves us sleepless at night sometimes. We all are carrying around hurts and pain and sorrow and grief Loneliness, depression, different financial struggles that we have, relational struggles. We all have pain. So the question isn't if we suffer. The question is how will we suffer and how can we suffer well? Now, if we're honest, some of the pain that we go through is our fault, We make decisions that lead to different outcomes that we have to look back and say, okay, the reason I'm in pain right now is something that I did a long time ago or something that I'm doing right now. Others of us are in pain because something somebody else has done. Maybe a spouse has hurt you or one of your kids has hurt you or your boss is an egomaniac and he's making it hard for you to do your job or a friend turned their back on you. Something happened along the way that the pain that you carry is someone else's fault. But then there's times in our lives where we just look up to God and say, How? And why is this happening? I didn't do anything. Someone else didn't do anything. It feels like you're allowing this to happen. And that's exactly what happened to Job. Now Job was an incredible, incredible person. We should all want to be like him. We read this in the very, very first verse of Job. So there was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Can you imagine when someone talks about you, if they talked about you like this? Above reproach, does everything right, keeps their eyes on God, loves people, they are the salt of the earth, good person. That was Job. Everybody knew Job like that. But unbeknownst to Job, God allowed Satan to attack him and take everything away from Job. He didn't do anything wrong. Someone else didn't do anything wrong to him. He is suffering because God allowed it for a specific reason, And as Job is trying to figure out what exactly he must have done to cause this because he didn't know about what God and Satan talked about in the background, he can't figure it out. So his friends come on the scene and they keep telling him, look, you must have done something wrong. You had to have sinned because God doesn't allow good things or bad things to happen to good people. These friends were really good friends, but really, really poor counselors, and for 35 chapters, they keep telling him, Job, what have you done? Job, God must be mad at you for something over and over and over again. And what's so hard about those chapters is as you're reading, you're seeing this conversation, you're seeing the struggle within Job, but God is nowhere to be found. In 35 chapters of Job, he is silent. And sometimes when you and I are suffering, We are begging God just to show up, just to speak something to us. Yeah, we have our friends, they're trying their best. We're trying to figure it out, but God, where are you? What do you do in that situation? Well, eventually, Job, or God does come on the scene and takes Job to school, starts to tell Job about who he is. And then towards the end of Job, Job realizes everything about what has happened and why. And he says these words in Job 42, verses one through three. Job's response to the Lord. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. At the end of all of this, Job's like, who am I to question you? Who am I to wonder why this happened in my life? I shouldn't question you. I have no idea what I'm talking about. You see things from your perspective, and you know what? That's how I ought to see things as well. Wisdom for Job, suffering well, was to lean on God and to trust him even when there are no answers. took him a long time to figure that out. But he didn't have to learn the hard way, and either do we. When you figure out right away, whatever I'm going to suffer, because I'm going to suffer, and there's sometimes I've done it, well, I have to pay the consequence of that. And someone else has hurt me, and I can't really control that. But if there is something happening in my life, I want to say, God, I don't know why, but I'm trusting you for a reason, and maybe I won't even see it until I get up to be with you someday. But I am trusting you that you see what I don't, and that is wisdom we're going to look at that in a few weeks. This brings us to Ecclesiastes. If I had to give you one sentence on how to define Ecclesiastes, it's this: how to live a fulfilling life in a meaningless world. If you are like me around Easter time, you get very excited And you may think, oh, you are so holy, Pastor. You're so excited about Easter because Jesus rose from the dead. I am excited because of these things called Reese's Easter eggs. (laughs) Praise the Lord, Jesus rose from the dead. But when I get my hand on some Reese's Easter eggs, oh, just that bite with, oh, anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm going on and on here. But what I don't like about Easter when it comes to chocolate is when someone hands me a chocolate bunny, a big bunny, I'm thinking, oh, a lot of chocolate to eat. I'm gonna love this. Maybe there's some peanut butter in the center. Maybe it's going to be a marshmallow filling I'll, It's not my favorite, but I'll, but I'll eat it, you know. I'm not gonna say no to chocolate. And then you open this bunny and you take a bite. There's nothing inside. <laughs> and you look at that person and you say, what are you doing to me? I was so excited to get to the center of whatever this is, and it's just hollow inside. It looked good on the outside, but it's hollow on the inside. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's exactly what the author Solomon tells you about life. It looks so good on the outside until you bite into it, and it's hollow, it's meaningless, it's nothing. And to live a wise life, he says, you have to put something in the center that will taste really good, something of substance throughout ecclesiastes we read right at the beginning actually he says this there are words of the teacher king david's son who ruled in jerusalem everything is meaningless says the teacher completely meaningless you start this book by chapter two you're already depressed you're like okay everything's meaningless okay what else should i read but he's on to something Other versions of the scriptures, when it translates this, can put it this way, vanities of vanities. Another way of saying it is soap bubbles of soap bubbles. My kids are 11 and 9 and 7 and 5, two boys, two girls. But what they all have in common is when you start getting bubbles out, they all are just as excited as ever. And I'll be honest, I jump in on the fun too. We're blowing little bubbles, big bubbles, we're popping them. But over time, you know that when we're all playing with bubbles, it looks great, and then boom, you pop it. Where did it go? It's gone. And Solomon says that's the meaninglessness of life. It's vanities of vanities. It's soap bubbles about soap bubbles. It's there for a moment, and it's gone in the next moment. It looks really good until you bite inside, and there's nothing. It's meaninglessness. So what is this book all about then? How does it teach us wisdom? Well, at the end, we read this from Solomon. Well, that's the whole story. So here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. He says everyone's gonna take a bite of that money. For many of us, for our whole lives, we're gonna keep biting into it, and it's going to be hollow and empty, and meaninglessness, soap bubbles above soap bubbles. Here one moment, and gone the next every single day. So, if you want that peanut buttery goodness in the middle, he says, fear God, which we'll get to in a little bit, and obey his commands. He said, if you want to live the wise life. It'll look good on the inside, but it'll even taste better on the, or look good on the outside, but it'll even taste better on the inside when God's at the center of everything that you do, from work to pleasure and everything in between. And that's what Ecclesiastes is going to teach us in a few weeks. But next week, we're kicking off a whole seven-week study on probably my favorite book of the whole Bible, and it's the Proverbs. Proverbs. What does Proverbs teach us about wisdom? Can I say it so bluntly? How not to be an idiot? (laughs) I mean, you start reading Proverbs, pretty soon you should stop being an idiot or what Solomon will say, stop being a fool. That word foolishness is all over the Proverbs. I had a friend one time tell me this and I did it for a while. I think I'm gonna start doing it again now that we're reading the Proverbs. There's 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. 31, chapters. Six months a year, five months a year, there's 31 days. Other times there's 30. One time there's 28. But he said, I read a chapter of Proverbs every single day. And then when I get back to, when I get to the end of 31, I just go back to chapter one and I just read it because I want to be wise. One of the greatest books I've ever read is a 365-day devotional on the Proverbs by my favorite author of all time, uh, the man who's gone too early, Tim Keller, with his wife Kathy Keller, wrote a year of devotions on it called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. All of our pastors use it. We're going to be using it in this message series. I can't recommend this book enough. And in it, it tells us about what the Proverbs is about. And when you read the first seven verses of Proverbs 1, which we're going to do right now. So open your Bibles to Proverbs 1. It reminds you of what a trailhead is. A trailhead is a sign or a signpost that's placed at the beginning of a trail. Whether you're going to journey through a mountain or you're going through the woods, it tells you everything that you need to know about what's ahead. And in the first seven verses of Proverbs 1, it is a trailhead to say, here is what is ahead in Proverbs. Here's how you read it and interpret it and apply it to your life so you don't have to learn the hard way, so you don't have to be a fool or an idiot. Okay, So here's verse 1 and 2. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Wisdom is always linked to the world. world, word skill or skillful. Oftentimes that word literally means to skillfully navigate a boat on the open waters. And what Proverbs is telling us is to skillfully navigate through the ups and downs of life, hopefully sticking on the path of wisdom so we don't have to learn the hard way. And Solomon says there's a couple ways that we become more skillful. He says that we are teaching them wisdom and discipline. He's talking about the morality, having a moral compass in our lives so we know which way to go. Because most of life, whether we want to recognize it or not, is not black and white. That's the easy choices. How do you navigate the moral choices of those things that are gray, that you don't always know? What is God saying here? Well, he wants to teach us to be morally skillful, to know how to navigate the gray when it comes to life and making hard choices. But it's not just that discipline, Solomon says, it's also our insight, our mind. Part of it is morally skillfully, but it's also mentally discerning. It's knowing the difference between good, better, and best. It's understanding what are God's thoughts about a situation, and how do I apply those so I can morally and then skillful, or morally and mentally, skillfully go through life the way God wants us to? That's what Solomon says. You can go through this morally and mentally in a way that you don't have to learn the hard way. He goes on to say this: Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Successful lives. In this culture, if I were to tell you what does a successful life look like, oftentimes it's about, well, how much money do I have? Or what job do I have? Or what are my looks? Or what are the other things that I have in my possessions? And Solomon says, no, 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 no. That's not what a skillful life or a successful life looks like. A successful life is to do what is right, just, and fair. Is to morally and mentally know how to navigate life God's way, because that's who He is. He is a just God. He is on the co- He's with the cause of those who are widows and orphans. He takes those positions who can't fight for themselves. That's a skillful and successful life. And He says, if you are wise you will know how to navigate life in such a way that at the end of your life, when people say you're successful, they'll point to those things and not the kind of things that you have in your possession. That's what matters the most. He says these proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to young. It's for those who are young, so good for kids, but it's also good for me because I'm a simple guy. Another word for simple is gullible, I'm very gullible when it comes to things I really, really want. And I can trick myself into doing something thinking it's right. But if I'm going at this thing with God's moral compass and with his mind, I will know the right thing so I don't have to learn the wrong way. He says, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. Those who think they're wise can become even more wise. I love this far, far, far Side cartoon. Midvale Gift, a school for the gifted, and there's that kid. He's just pu- uh, pushing instead of pulling. He's supposed to be gifted, but obviously not as much as we thought. Many of us think we are wise, but there are still times in our lives where it says to pull, and we push. And the Proverbs show us how to make sure we're pulling every single time. You can't be wise enough. And so how do we pull when it says to pull? So we know exactly what door to go through. He goes on to say, by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. One of my favorite candies of all time is a Werther candy. Anyone else love Werthers in here? Oh, they're so good. Now, it would be foolish for me to enjoy that candy by just putting it in my mouth and chomping on it right away. Not only will it break my teeth, probably, but you don't get to get the flavor out of it unless I'm just sucking it all the way down and getting all that caramely goodness out of it. And that's what Solomon says when you're exploring the Proverbs. Don't just bite on it. Don't just read it real quick and keep going. You need to savor it. The more you savor it and get everything out of it, the more wise you will be the more morally skillful you will be, the more mentally discerning you will be so you can take this path that gets you where you need to go instead of this path where it may get you where you need to go but there's going to be some hard, painful lessons along the way. And then Solomon says, I want to put up the reason and how to go about this right in the beginning so you understand what Proverbs is. He says, "Fear Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline. A lot of us do things out of fear, but it's the wrong kind of fear. We make decisions out of FOMO, fear of missing out. We make decisions out of fear, fear of people. And there's a lot of times we learn lessons the hard way because we wanna do what everybody else is doing or we wanna be a people pleaser And we're fearful of what they'll say about me, so I'm going to do this thing. And I promise you, you do that. You make decisions on fear of missing out or the fear of people, you will always go down this path. But to go down this path of wisdom is so hard, but it's so rewarding. And Solomon says to do so, it's to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord simply means to be a humble, faithful surrender of the Lord. Or another way to say it is taking God and his word as seriously as you can. When you fear the Lord and you surrender to his will, when he's at the center of this potentially hollow life, you will get to exactly where you need to go. And it's good that we're on that path because there are some landmines along the way that we will step on if we're not careful. Starting next week, we're going to look at the seven deadly sins that are the landmines That I think Proverbs wants to help us with pride, anger, envy, gluttony, sloth, greed, and lust. All of us going down this path need to get back to this path with these seven issues that all of us struggle with. I want to invite the worship team out and we want to end with a song, Be Thou My Vision. So would you stand with me? And as you do, I want to teach you a prayer this morning. Um, this is tied to Christian tradition, teaching us how to put a worder in our mouth and really meditate on the scriptures. It's called a breath prayer, and you can literally pray this in a breath. And it's this. Help me to see and do what you want me to do. Help me to see, help me to do just like you. Help me to see life and do exactly what you would want from me just in the way that you would do it if you were in my position. Help me to see and do like you. Will you say that with me? Help me to see and do like you this week when you are up at a fork in the road in a breath. Help me to see and do like you Help me to see and do like you in my marriage. Help me to see and do like you with my finances. Help me to see and do like you in these seven pitfall areas. Help me to see and do like you. And if you pray that, you will get yourself on the path, the path of wisdom.